Because when we pray after that, we shouldn't be sitting, okay? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> can we... Amen. Um, can, can I ask for a personal gesture this morning? Can you put your hands out in front of you uh, this morning? As we open up our hands and ask God to fill them with his blessing this morning as we gather together and remember this time of year. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, here we stand before you with our hands open, asking you to fill our hands this morning, to give us your blessing, to remind us of your word, to give us strength for the season that lies ahead, and to remember, to remember well the message of the first Christmas, how it should invade our lives, fill our hearts, give us joy and hope in ways that nothing else can. So we thank you for the incredible privilege that we have this morning to meet in freedom, to stand with our hands open to you, and we thank you for the way that you are filling them today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Wonderful. Yeah, before, uh, before we get into content this morning, I just want to uh, give an open welcome to those of you who are listening online, right? And uh, you're joining us right now. Um, you may be in your pajamas, and that's okay, all right, as you're... Uh, watching the service online, and, uh, and if you're going to watch the service afterwards, I want to welcome those that join us online. I think it's really cool that we can have this opportunity in a, in a modern age and the technology that allows us to touch people in their very homes and in their very privacy. So it's Christmas. Last week we began talking about what happens to most of us this time of year. Um, I, I, I said that for, for me personally, uh, the minute I walked into the first department store and saw all the decorations, that my level of expectation just went through the roof. And that's what happens for most of us at Christmas time, that the level of expectation goes. Notice I didn't say stress, Okay. Some of us would talk about stress, but can we be honest? Can we be honest this morning and say that part of the stress is really your level of expectation, that what you add to the Christmas season is a level of expectation that kind of adds to the stress. And if it's fair, I think, I think you can call Christmas the season of expectation because there's so much, there's so much that happens in our lives when, when Christmas comes. I don't know about you, but when, we, when I get to the end of the year, I start thinking about, was it a good year? Was it a bad year? And then I start thinking about the year to come. You know, if you're anything like me, I've, I've had a whole set of goals every new year. You know, I, I say, for, you know, this particular year, I want all of this to happen. I want to be able to accomplish this. I want to I shoot for these kind of end goals and, and try to, you know, you know, have some kind of, uh, you know, advancement by the end of the year. And sometimes when I come to Christmas, the expectations are, I haven't even come close. And so I start looking at the new year and I start looking at 
all the things that I haven't been able with my expectations to accomplish. And I come to this time of year with these level of expectations. And you know, when it does come to Christmas, there is something about expectations. We looked last week at an Old Testament story about the prophets and how the prophets set in motion a series of expectations about the Messiah, a series of expectations about what God was going to do, how God was going to redeem the world. All through the Bible, God is making promises. All through the Bible, God is prompting his people with his word and reminding them of his character qualities, reminding them of what he wants to bring to the world. And if, you know, for me, when Christmas comes, it's always a time for me to remember the promises of God. We're going to look at a passage this morning which for many of us, if I, can, if I can just challenge you in this particular way, for many of us, when we read this passage, we look at it with the, with the lens or with the eyes of God doing something brand new in the world. And I'm going to challenge that this morning, that God isn't really doing anything brand new. It may be brand new in the way that he does it, But the beautiful picture of this particular story that many of us have read time and time again is really about God reminding us of what he's promised so long ago. All right? So we're going to look at the visitation of the angel Gabriel to Mary, the Annunciation in Luke. Luke 1 Verses 26 to 33. And just to set the context, Elizabeth, who is related to Mary, is already six months pregnant. And if you know the story at all, Elizabeth is pregnant with the person who will become John the Baptist, who is the person that comes before the Messiah, that as it's it's stated in, in passages like Isaiah 40, that God is starting to fulfill his promise to the world. And what is really neat about this particular story is that God has been silent. God has been silent for 400 years. That from the closing of the Old Testament, there is this moment, there is this gap where God hasn't revealed his word to the nation of Israel. And he has been quiet. And built up in that season of quietness where God hasn't revealed his word or given any more scripture is this level of expectation. The people have been saying, God said this. God promised this. God God gave us the revelation of this. And yet he's been silent 400 years. And when God is silent, people think he has forgotten. When God is silent, people think that God no longer is going to fulfill his promise or his word. And people are anticipating that God is going to do something. What would have surprised the people, if you had said, you know, if you had said a year before all of this happened with Elizabeth and Mary, if you had said, you know, how is God going to finally show up? 
Most of us would have said, he's going to show up, you know, with a, with a king or something majestic or, or trumpets or something very loud or something very prominent or something very, you know, evident to, to the whole nation that God is, is, has spoken finally, that it's going to be a big announcement. And if you had have said, no, 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 it's going to be done very quietly on the side to teenage girls you would not have believed it for a second. It would never have come across that this is the way that God would finally show up. So here's what Luke records about this beautiful announcement that the angel Gabriel brings. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, you who have favor with God. The Lord is with you. What a word, eh? Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Now, I'm going to stop right there. We're going, to, we're going to look at this passage. There's a lot here. Now, many of you right away see the angel Gabriel. Can I tell you a little bit about the angel Gabriel? Okay? Do you know that in the Bible, there are only two angels that are actually named? Gabriel is one of them. The other one is Michael. Okay, Michael is the more prominent one. Michael is the one that uh, has more um, words written about him than Gabriel does. But Gabriel and Michael show up in a particular Old Testament book. There's only one person in the Old Testament where both Michael and Gabriel speak to. There's only one prophet in the Old Testament who got to hear both from Michael and both from Gabriel. Um, do you want to do a test? Daniel. Who did that? Red stars. Yeah. Red star. At Christmas, it's a red star. Yeah. Um, Daniel is the only one who got to hear from two archangels, if you want to, want to say that too. And you know what? Here's the other thing about the Christmas story. When it comes to the angels, and I don't really know how to word this, the, the angels are not as, as scary in the Christmas story as they are in most of the other stories in the Bible. Anytime an angel showed up, in most of the Old Testament, it was a frightful experience for the people. And, and there's a little bit of this here because Mary's kind of frightened and disturbed, and we're going to look at that in a minute. Now, here's, here's the interesting about, thing about Gabriel. When Gabriel speaks to the prophet Daniel, there's two prophecies that Gabriel communicates to Daniel about the future, okay? One, there's, there's, there's one when he's when he's by the river and Gabriel shows up and reveals, you know, some of the future things that are going to happen. Um, that's, that's one revelation. The one I want to talk about is the second one. Have you ever heard of Daniel's 70 weeks? 
the prediction about when the Messiah and all that kind of stuff. Not going to get into it, but if you want to just, you know, Google that and find out about Daniel's 70, 70 weeks. But during that prophecy, Daniel talks about the anointed one. The anointed one of God. The prophecy is about the Messiah. The Messiah, the translation of Mashiach in Hebrew is the word anointed one. Do you know that Christ in Greek means anointed one? Okay? So the Messiah is the anointed one of God. Gabriel is the one that told the prophet Daniel about a time that was going to come of an anointed one of God, okay, that was going to fulfill, you know, the prophecies of the Old Testament about the suffering servant, the anointed one of God that was going to come and redeem the world. Isn't that cool? And many years later, God says to the angel Gabriel, it's time. Remember what you said to Daniel? It's time. Here's the reality. So Gabriel shows up to Mary in the village of Galilee, a nowhere place, by the way, in that particular part of the world, very small town, okay, to a virgin named Mary. How old, how old in that time period are girls getting married, by the way? In their teens, yeah. 13, 14, 15, 16. In that, in that. So here, the, here she is, very, very young. Very young. And, the Greek, and by the way, the Greek word for virgin is Parthenon. You ever heard of that word? Okay, okay. That's why the temple in the Acropolis is the Parthenon. It's the temple of the virgin. Okay, Parthenos, that's... Okay, okay, so you learn Greek and you learn Hebrew, okay? Is that fair? Glad you came, right? <laughs> All right, learning, you know, amazing stuff. And married to a man named Joseph, engaged. And by the way, when couples got engaged in that time period, it was a contract between two families. What this tells us is that the families have signed into the contract. If she's engaged to be married, the families have made this contract, you know, together. So they're, they're, they're bonded in this covenant, the seal of marriage. So it's not like you can just back out easily. She's already in a predicament He's already in a predicament, and the angel shows up in the midst of this deal that has been crafted by the two families and about to upset it. Now, it's interesting, too, that the passage tells us that Joseph is a descendant of King David. Now, that would have been a significant statement for Mary. We read that biblically and not 100% sure of what to do with that but the fact that that's mentioned and the, and the fact that that's a reality would have signaled to Mary it would have signaled to Mary very clearly that the angel was telling Mary about something a promise that God was about to fulfill that she was going to be a significant part of 
You see, back in the Old Testament, God had promised to David, King David, many, many years before that there would always be someone of his lineage to sit on the throne. And that throne, right, you know, evolved into this kind of spiritual kingdom and the kingdom of God. And here is the angel fulfilling the promise of God that the Messiah was now going to reinstate the kingdom of God with the lineage of David. And God had not forgotten anything of what had gone in the past. You see, there's so many times in the history of Israel, they said, there's no way God can fulfill the promises because the lineage has been broken or, or something has happened that there's no way that God can make good out of this situation. And the reality is, in one statement, in one kind of short passage in the, in the New Testament, talking to a teenage girl, the angel Gabriel says, you know what? God's going to take care of all of it. Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, I don't know, if you, if you want to be confronted with one of the most powerful beings in the, in, in the universe, by the way, if you, if you know anything about angels, they're incredibly powerful, especially archangels. And, 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 and if you know anything about the book of Daniel, we'll go back to the book of Daniel, you know, you've got Daniel praying and the angel coming saying, I would have been here, you know, days ago, but I got waylaid by, you know, uh, this battle that's going on in the spiritual world. And I know when I go back, you know, the, the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece are going to attack me and there's kind of the spiritual battle going on. And this is really powerful stuff. But if I had an angel show up, in my room, I'm going to want them to say, you're favored with God. <laughs> I joke all the time that if an angel showed up, most of us would leave a puddle on the ground. <laughs> they are not the little cupid, you know, kind of little wing things. Yeah, you, you know. In fact, you know, it, it, Isaiah 6, give you a picture. Um, you know the angels around the throne room in Isaiah 6? The Hebrew word for those angels are called seraphim. And, the, and technically, they're called the fiery ones. That's what seraph in Hebrew means. These are the fiery ones. And, and, and the doorpost shook, you know, and they would, they would say in unison, holy Holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. And it's this picture. And Isaiah has just gotten finished given, given you know, the, the, the people of Israel at that time, giving them the woes, the six woes. He's going, woe to you because you do this, and woe to you because you do that, and woe to you because you do this, and woe to you because you do, you know, you behave in a way, and, and you allow sin, and he gives this six woe thing that's, that's just, you know, and then all of a sudden, here's Isaiah in the very throne room of God, watching these fiery angels around the throne room, and the, and the Holy One, high and lifted up, and, and Isaiah looks at it and goes, I just got done giving it to the people, but woe to me. See, when you come face to face with God, when you come face to face with an archangel, it's a serious moment. 
confused and disturbed. That's what this translation says. But in many ways, it's, it's much more than that. Much more than that. It's an important detail. It denotes a, a, you know, a sense of awe and perplexed by the situation. And she's trying to take in everything. I think, I think, I think right away, Mary being approached by the angel Gabriel is like she's thinking, oh, the book of Daniel. Oh, Joseph's married in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the lineage of David. And, and, and I'm favored. And goes, what does this, all this mean? Why are you telling? I'm, I'm expecting Mary to go, why are you telling me? What have I got to do with any of this? I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I felt God was saying this, and I'm going, why? What? What? Why are you telling me? Why are you asking me? You know, I'm talking about something insignificant, like leaving business and going to seminary. She's talking about, you know, the savior of the world. Mary responds this. Here's the next part of the passage that we're going to finish up with today. Don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid, Mary. Guess what, Mary? What God is going to call you to do, what God is going to ask of you, what God is going to do in you is going to be your first response, humanly speaking, is to be scared out of your wits, to be so frightened, you know? If, if, if Mary has any of the instruction that we know that young uh, Jewish people got at that time, she knows the full weight of what is probably being asked of her. When she, when she hears all and she understands all of the past promises that God has made, it, it would have been absolutely overwhelming for her to see this all coming to fruition in her time, in her space. You have found favor with God. That's twice that Gabriel's had to repeat that. That's twice that Gabriel has had to remind her of that. In that short period of time, in that short instance, God, you know, Gabriel's had to say to her, guess what? This is a good thing for you because God has found favor with you. Here it comes. Wait for it. <laughs> Here's what Gabriel's going to tell her. You know, because she's probably thinking, okay, what's God got planned for me? What's God going to do in my life? What is this got to do with me in any way, shape, or form? But Gabriel lays it out very clearly. You will conceive and give birth to a son. No ultrasound. Prior to pregnancy, no doctor, but this is what God's going to do. And you will name him Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. 
Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Yeshua, Joshua. Joshua, the Lord saves, who is the anointed one of God. That's what Jesus Christ means in all its fullness. And Mary's hearing those words and wrestling with what it all means for her. He, he, your son will be very great, very great. Again, beyond the ultrasound to what his life will actually be shaped like. I don't know about you. I've stood over both my sons and wondered what is going to be your life. To have an angel come and say, guess what? They're both going to be great. Or they're both going to, you know, all of that stuff. Some kind of reassurance as a parent. Some kind of, you know, feeling that, you know, all, all, the, all the toil of being a parent is going to be worth it. And Gabriel says to her, he's going to be great. Imagine if, if, if Mary was to, to stand here with us right here, right today. And to realize that centuries, centuries, centuries have passed. And people all around the world, even in this modern day and age, are bowing the knee and worshiping her son, Jesus. It doesn't get any greater than that. That a season of expectation really was initiated because of this birth. And he will be called the son of the most high. That's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful picture. Like, can we, can we just wrestle with that for a minute? The son of the most high. And it's, it's interesting to me that that terminology, and notice it's not the son of God. That Gabriel brings out the son of the most high. It doesn't get any higher. He's, he's the anointed one of the most high. It's, it's this superlative that Gabriel is communicating. And, this, you, know, you know, it's a good, better, best, low, high, higher, the most high. It's a relationship with the creator of all. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture. I don't know about you, but if, 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 if that had been me and I'm hearing all of this, it would have been an overwhelming experience. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. Right away, right away, you're hearing the beautiful, you know, picture of all that God had, had, you know, formulated prophetically in the Old Testament now coming to its full fruition here and now in front of her. So God's been silent 400 years, and we wondered if he had forgotten about us. We wondered if he had walked away. We wondered if he was just going to say, it's not worth it anymore, so what I said back then isn't going to matter. No. Not for a second. 
that the word of God is being fulfilled in the promises of God. And that's where real hope resides. Real hope resides in the promises of God. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom, the kingdom of God, will never, ever, 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 ever end. You know, I want to... Here's, here's why this is such a beautiful story and such a beautiful picture. Next, next week, we'll continue with Mary's response to, to this particular passage. And it's really striking because in all fairness, the angel Gabriel has, has literally dumped on her virtually the entire promises of the Old Testament of what God had promised to do in bringing the Messiah into the world. She would have probably thought of passages like, like the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Come to redeem the world. And it's, and it's a powerful passage because here's what we miss about Christmas. And I think... And at least about the Christmas story. And let me challenge you this morning about this. You see, many of us think of the Christmas story of God doing something brand new. And that is true only to a point. What is brand new in the story is how God brought the Savior into the world. What is really powerful about the story is how God fulfills his promises through the Old Testament prophets to bring the fruition of the Messiah into the world. That in many ways, the Christmas story is about God being faithful. That God's word not returning void. That what God says he's going to do, and what God promises he's going to do in people's lives is going to happen. See, we're always looking for something new, and I, and I kind of get that. And we're always looking for, you know, God to give us a, a new blessing and God to pour into our, you know, and all of that. And I, and, and I understand that, and, and I get that. But the real heart of, boy, I sound like a Hallmark movie, don't I? <laughs> I was just going to say the real heart of Christmas, you know. I started keeping a list in Hallmark movies, what the real meaning of Christmas is. You ever, you ever done that? Yeah, do that for a season, by the way, and, and you'll get so messed up because everybody's got a real reason for the season. Anyway, but, okay, a little tangent, sorry. I forgot what I was going to say now. Jesus, yeah. There's the sun. A Sunday school answer, right? What? Yeah, you know. Do you want a banana? Jesus, you know. Anyway. Um, what Christmas, why Christmas is worth remembering is that it reminds us of God's promises. It reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. 
It reminds us that God is there in the presence of the difficulties, in the presence of the expectations, in the presence of the difficulties that we're experiencing. That, you know, regardless of what is happening in our world around us, God is faithful to his word. That Jesus came to inaugurate a kingdom, a kingdom that has no end. My prayer for you this Christmas in our series, A Christmas to Remember, that you will not be looking for something brand new from God. Even though, you know, I understand why you would be. And, and that's okay. But can you build your, what you're expecting from God? Can you build it on what the promises of God already are for your life? And be reminded of the great joy and the great hope and the great promise that we have because Jesus came into this world and fulfilled the entire Old Testament, the entire law, the entire, you know, book that gave us the expectations of the Messiah and what God was going to do when he came and arrived as a baby in a manger. We're so awestruck by that story. But do you know, God had it planned long, long ago. And what God has planned for the babe in the manger, he has for you as well. Because God is faithful. God is good. God has promised. And in the midst of those difficulties... It's good for us to be reminded of the promises in our lives. Promises that go beyond the temporal, that go beyond the difficulties of the situation and give us a hope that nothing else in this world can bring. Can we live with that this Christmas? Can you live with that this Christmas? And allow that to be your reason for the season. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I know personally that if I had been approached by an angel in this way, oh, what a momentous moment that would have been. We thank you for showing us a picture of this Christmas season through divine inspiration. Lord, if, if we learn anything that there was so much of your involvement in bringing the reality of the Christmas story to bear. And we can almost forget that you're involved intimately in our lives here and now. That you have promised so much that your faithfulness is true, that you are here at a moment's notice, and that you long to be in a relationship with each and every one of us. Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not have a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. 
that today would be a day that they would open up their heart to you. To the very heart of the Christmas story of bringing your son into the world to redeem us so that we can be forgiven, so we can live with true hope and true joy as we place our faith in you. So, Lord, as we conclude this part and invite the worship team up for our closing songs, may we be truly touched by the message of Gabriel to a teenage girl many centuries ago and be reminded of why we enjoy this time of year so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, as I've said, I'm inviting the worship team to come and to close us off this morning. We have a prayer room if you'd like to uh, be part of that right beside the staff offices. There will be a team there ready and willing to have a time of private prayer with you. I'd like to thank you for being here. Look forward to concluding this next week. God bless you.